and honor from 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 25. I remember back in the eighth grade, I took my first trip to Washington, D.C. I had grown up in California. We were there in the summertime. It was 98 degrees with 98% humidity. I could feel, I had never experienced humidity before like that. It was just had a vice grip around my neck and my lungs. I remember being out there day after day looking at the monuments. I remember as well going to Arlington National Cemetery and seeing the Tomb of the Unknowns, otherwise known as the Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers. And they were guarding that tomb with the guardsmen. I didn't realize that day the significance of what was occurring. I'm just wondering, are they crazy? <laughs> They're dressed to the hilt. Here I am in my typical sandals and shorts and T-shirt, sweating profusely. I did not understand then the honor that was being bestowed. It wasn't until years later that I read up about this tomb of the unknown soldier. This tomb represents the war grave of unidentified soldiers who have fought for our country. This tomb has been guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for the last 77 years, since 1930. It's interesting to note that as the guards guard the tomb, they take 21 paces and then do about face and pause for 21 seconds before taking another 21 paces. Why do they do so? As I'm told, it alludes to the 21-gun salute. That is the highest form of honor for any military dignitary. A lot more things I learned as well about what took place at that tomb. I learned that the guard actually lives in a barrack underneath the tomb and cannot drink alcohol on or off duty for the rest of his life. I've also been told they cannot swear in public for the rest of their lives. For the six, first six months of duty, a guard cannot talk to anyone. I'm just wondering, where do they get these guys? <laughs> I think we're all disqualified right here at Palm Vista, okay? <laughs> Either it's the talking or drinking. I'm not sure of the swearing, okay? But no, 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 no. But I'm really wondering, where do they get these guys? I mean, Raphael, perhaps. I can see Raphael. I don't know, man. Maybe Raphael. But, uh, oh, I do respect them. If they cannot disgrace the uniform or the tomb in any way. Off-duty, their time is spent studying the 175 notable people who are laid to rest in Arlington National Cemetery, and they must memorize where they are buried. Every guard spends five hours a day getting his uniform ready for guard duty. I don't know how. There can be no wrinkles, no folds, no lint on their uniform. Why? For this is the tomb of the unknown soldier. Like you, like me, you may ask, what's the big deal? Why such respect? Why such honor? To answer that question, you must understand that the tomb isn't just about a person or group of people per se. If it were, there would be no guards. No, they are guarding something more precious than human bones. They are honoring and guarding what these men have fought and died for. Our country, our protection, and our freedom. Well, today's message is very similar. Today's message is about honoring your leaders. But this message is not about Al. It's not about myself. 
as an elder. No, something much more important. Today's message is about honoring and guarding the gospel and how we do that. For it's the gospel and God's honor, which we've been called to live and to die for. So that is and will be our concern today. The question for you this morning is this. What is it that you really value? What is it that we as a church values? Well, you know what? The answer to that question lies in this. At who and what we honor. Why? Because we will honor what we value. We will protect what we value. If you value the gospel, you will biblically honor and guard your leaders who have been entrusted with the gospel. That's the message for today. You'll see in the top of your notes, biblically honor and guard your leaders. Why? Because the gospel here is at stake. Well, for those of us who may be new to us this morning, say one a couple qualifying remarks. Number one, I've already mentioned quite a few times to the gospel. I don't want to assume anyone here knows what we're referring to when I say the gospel. But that is the crux of the issue this morning. What is the gospel that we are guarding? What is so precious about the gospel? Well, the gospel is this. It literally means good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. Of his life, of his death, of his resurrection, and his ascension. That God became man in the flesh to live the perfect life that we can never live and to die a shameful death for the punishment for our sins that we deserve. Here's the good news. It's the great exchange. God took the penalty and punishment for our sins upon himself. And what did he give to us? The good works and righteousness of Christ. That we who trust in our Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior would one day face God our Maker, and be forgiven because Christ paid the penalty. And furthermore, we stand on Christ's good good works, which have been credited to us. That is great exchange. That is the gospel. That's the message that we want to preach. I hope you hear every Sunday in some form here at Palm Vista. That is the gospel that we are guarding. That is the gospel that we as leaders have been entrusted with. Secondly, for those who may be new to us this last week or two, or actually last month or two, we've been going through the book of 1 Timothy. We are going verse by verse. We call that expository preaching. We take each verse in its context and preach upon it. So today, we are speaking about honoring and honoring leaders. It's not a topic that we chose out of a hat. We chose it because we chose to go through the book of 1 Timothy. And as such, we believe that God has a word for us today. And we don't want to miss it. Thirdly, for our members here this morning as well, I believe the message you're about to hear is not primarily corrective, but rather it is meant to encourage you. We're going to speak about honor this morning. I believe God is building a culture of honoring one another here at Palm Vista that pleases him. What I want to do and hope to do today through the word of God is to encourage you in what you do, and let you know why you do it. Why do we honor our leaders? Why do we honor one another? 
that you may be encouraged to grow in grace and in honoring God by honoring those he's put in your life as an authority. With that in mind, let's open the text for today, 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting with verse 17. If you have your Bibles, please open at this time. We will read the entire section together, or I will read it on our behalf. Chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and a laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I ask this morning that you would grant me the grace to preach this message faithfully. And I pray for everyone here, both listening now in this auditorium and via CD or MP3, give them the grace to hear. I pray that no one would shut down this morning. There would be charitable judgments, that we would honor you in our listening this morning. Lord, make us a church that increasingly honors you by honoring one another in those you've put in our lives. May we be a church, Lord that guards the gospel of Jesus Christ with our whole lives, that it may not be slandered nor defiled. May we be a church that holds it up with great honor and esteem, that defends it, protects it, Father. For your name's sake, we pray. Amen. Well, point number one, biblically honor your leaders, particularly those who lead well. As you see in verse 17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Well, the first question I want to ask is very appropriate. Why do we honor? Why do we honor? You see, if you don't get this question right, we don't get the entire passage right. What is meant to be God-centered text can easily become a man-centered vortex. In other words, sucking and drawing praise and honor that, that only God deserves and taking it upon ourselves. No, we're not talking about exalting man this morning. We're not talking about idolatry. We're talking about honoring God by honoring our leaders. We must resist the temptation to idolize man or to seek and to rob God of the glory that is due his name. And that is very much my awareness of this morning. I'd like to read a quote, actually, from our new members 
notebook that we give as part of our coursework for those exploring membership, I'm still going to write from there, says this, there exists an unfortunate confusion between exalting leaders and honoring leaders in the body of Christ. Exalting leaders is idolatry and is totally unacceptable. Honoring leaders, however, is biblical and should be the regular attitude and practice of every Christian. For those who've been with us in our current series, you're well aware that Paul's concern in this letter is not that he honor man. No, his concern in this letter to Timothy, to the church in Ephesus, is that they be on the guard against false teachers who are spreading lies and slandering the gospel. So Paul here in this text is actually going on the offensive. Maybe you've heard it said, the best defense is a good offense. Just like at home, not only do I want to show the faults or the sins of my children, they know their sin, I also want to go on the offensive and honor the children when they do well. That this is what it means to live the gospel as an example as well and as a statement to our faithfulness. You see, especially, Paul is saying, we must honor those who labor in the area of preaching and teaching, i.e. those who are especially honored are those elders who support sound doctrine versus the false teachers and those who are sowing the seeds of bad doctrine, of false doctrine, through their speech as well as their actions. Well, who are the elders he's referring to? Well, in a technical sense, it would be Al and I as vocational elders here at Palm Vista. We are the ones that are responsible for the preaching and teaching here at Palm Vista. But as this term is used, as it was back then, we can also open the door a little wider. This may refer definitely to the elders who preach and teach, also to the deacons. He also refers back to, in chapter 3 of this letter, kind of saying, honor your leaders, honor your pastors, honor your home group leaders, honor those who do the work of the gospel. Honor the ones who do the work of the gospel. Why? Not because of their personality. Not because they're better or more sanctified. Not because of their giftings. No, because of the call upon their lives. For those who have served in the U.S. military, you would know this. You don't salute the person. You salute the rank or the uniform. In other words, you salute their call. You honor their office. Just learn this this week. There's at least one time, there may be more, but one time that I'm aware of, when it is appropriate for a higher-ranking officer, even a general, to salute a subordinate. It's when that subordinate has received the Medal of Honor, the highest Medal of Honor, the highest military decoration that can be given by the President of the United States. Even in such circumstances, it could be feasible that a general would salute a private who has this Medal of Honor. It's made very clear that the person saluting is saluting the medal, not the person. Catch that? What we're talking about today is not saluting the person, but saluting the medal, the gospel that has been won on our behalf by our Lord Jesus Christ. For the fact is, guys, those who know us, Al and I, we're a pastoral team of privates. That's all there is to it. It was just confirmed to me last week. I mean, 
we have a good time. We were just literally laughing last week. It was actually, I think, Friday. We were helping uh, our neighbor in our office complex move, and we had to take some boxes of medical supplies from their office into the vehicle. We started doing that. After the third load, I started bringing in the medical supplies into my office and putting them on my desk. I have no idea why. I had absconded with their medical supplies. I'm a bona fide, what is it called? Kleptomaniac, thank you. Kleptomaniac, that's what I am. I have no idea. I do things all the time. So shortly after I go to get a Coke, Diet Coke from the fridge, of course I accuse Al of stealing all the Diet Cokes. There's none left, there's one left. I rip the door off the freezer, okay? (laughs) I am an accident waiting to happen. That's the passage you have, okay? But let me tell you, I mean, Al's actually translating this morning. I can't see him. I wish I could see him in the front row here. But it's just not me, okay? It's just not me. I've got to tell you, Al is growing older, guys. He will tell me the same story three times in one day. There was actually a time a couple weeks ago we called me up with this groundbreaking news only to call me 20 minutes later with the exact same news. Bro, you just called me. Did I? Oh, good. <laughs> the fact is... Al and I are two stooges just waiting for the third stooge, okay? So <laughs> that's basically what you're dealing with. But once again, you don't salute Al and I, do you? No, no. No, no, no. Thank God. You salute the gospel which we have been entrusted with. That is where we're going this morning. Ah, but the question is, for you, who do you honor? Who do you honor before your children or friends? Who are the heroes in your home? Are they sports figures, music artists, movie actors, actresses? Do the winners of the Academy Awards, Super Bowl MVP trophy, or even the American Idol finalists (laughs) command more respect or at least zeal and excitement than those who labor for the gospel? Who is held up in your speech as an example to be emulated, or a person to be honored. I want my children and those around me to know that we as a household value those who do the work of the gospel more than anything else. Do your children, do your friends, do they know the name of your pastors? Do they know the name of your home group leader? Or those who serve that matter on the ministry teams? Are they being honored, not just formally up here, but are they being honored, and that's the gospel being honored, in your casual relationships, in the affection that you have for them? People will see that. People will catch that. Who are you most excited about when you talk? It's a good indicator of where we're at in our heart, is it not? Oh, may I never, may I never, especially in front of my children, get more excited about Dwayne Wade driving to the hoop or Tiger Woods, the golfer, getting an eagle on a par five than I am about Al Pino preaching the gospel. I mean that. Man, I never get excited about these superstar athletes than I do about Rafael Gavilan, who leads our family's home group, or any home group here that you're a part of. May I never be more zealous and more excited about these people in the entertainment industry, whoever may be, whoever your hero may be, the better David Bush, who's here at 8 o'clock in the morning setting up for sound. Jesus and Jenny, who are serving in children's ministry behind the scenes week after week. That's who I want to be excited about. That's who I want to honor. And I want my friends and I want my family to know that's honoring God. 
They are doing the work of the gospel. They're the ones that I honor most of all. Yeah, I get excited about football. I get excited about basketball. I like playing golf. Oh, but that pales compared to my excitement at the local church and those who are serving and doing God's work in various forms. May my children know about Danny Jones, who gives oversight to this church. May my children know about C.J. Mahaney, who gives leadership to our family of churches called Sovereign Grace. I want them to know who they are. These are men worthy of honor because they lead us so well because they're the ones who are preaching the gospel to us. Oh, do they know? Do they know? Well, next question. How do you know if you truly are honoring your elders, particularly your pastors? Well, Scripture makes it clear and actually very tangible. I'll say it bluntly. But this is what's in the text. You put your money where your mouth is. Ouch. Yeah. How do we honor? Well, according to this text and many others, we just don't honor through words alone. We honor God and the gospel by financially supporting the work of the gospel. Verse 18. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. This first quote here, Paul is quoting the Old Testament law from Deuteronomy 25. The context of this law is of equity and justice. What the law is saying is, if you have an oxen doing your work, treading out the grain, you don't cover his mouth. You don't muzzle him. Why? Because if he's doing the work, he should enjoy the fruit of his labor. To cover his mouth, to muzzle an ox, is unjust. It is not right. Well, the Apostle Paul picks up on this theme from the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy and quotes it when he's talking about his right as an apostle and those who minister on behalf of the gospel to receive their compensation from the work they do. Let me quote 1 Corinthians 9, starting with verse 7. It says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does the law say the same? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake. Because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Going on to verse 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? Verse 14 is key. In the same way, the Lord commanded, commanded, that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. It's the very words that Christ said himself while here on earth in Luke 10, the second quote there in verse 18, the laborer deserves his wages. Christ spoke these words right before when he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then he sends out 72 laborers into the harvest field to proclaim the kingdom of God. And what's he say to them? 
go to their house, proclaim the gospel, and receive all the provision from them. Why? For the laborer deserves his wages. Christ himself lived this truth while he was on earth. He was a full-time teacher. You know how he was supported? By a group of people banding together, a community, many women included, who supported his endeavors. And he called also his disciples to leave their employment, Peter, James, and John, to leave their fishing industry. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That is what God has called Al and I to do here at Palm Vista. Listen to this quote from one commentator. To refuse to support hardworking teachers of the word is as unjust, heartless, and selfish as muzzling an animal while it is working, which was a common practice among greedy ancient farmers. The passage thus implies the provision of adequate living support, not merely token gifts for the worker. Have you ever made the connection between what you give, what you tithe, and honoring your leaders? I think the scripture makes it for us this morning. Clearly and unashamedly, that's why I'm preaching this morning, not because Al and I are hard up for cash, okay? It's not the case at all. We simply want to be faithful to scripture. We want to inform what giving and tithing is about. It's about giving to God, yes, and honoring God, absolutely. But it's also about honoring your leaders. You see, as pastors, Al and I had no other source of income. There's no magical kitty in the sky. There's no sovereign grace. No. We make our living from preaching to you, and it's you from which we draw our salaries. That's how it works. It's a local church. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And it's good. Thank you. Thank you. I just realized this morning that as I speak this, this may be hard words for some. But I believe the Lord may want to adjust your thinking on this for those perhaps who need adjustment. I welcome that. And I have faith the grace of God is here to change this area. I know there's some out there. You honor God. I know you honor us. There's affection. Al and I feel that affection. We love ministering here at Palm Vista. We don't want to be anywhere else. We feel the honor. But you're not honoring in the area of finances. You're muzzling the ox, so to speak, and what we can take and our budget, etc. God is saying, what you give does matter. It is one way in which you honor your leaders. Well, this word honor in the Greek literally means valuing a price to pay. Thus, to honor is to value, to pay a price. In this case, in the text, a double price. The word honor literally could be translated honorarium. Have you heard of that? An honorarium. If you know, whenever someone comes speaks here at Palm Vista from outside, we give them an honorarium. What are we doing? We give them a cash gift. We're saying thank you for preaching the gospel. Thank you for doing the work of preaching and teaching. We are honoring them, and that's honoring God, by giving them an honorarium. When we went to our Sovereign Grace Leadership Conference several weeks ago up in Gaithersburg, Maryland, we had the opportunity as a family of churches to honor our Sovereign Grace Leadership team. I'm speaking to C.J. Mahaney, Dave Harvey, Brent Detweiler, Steve Shank. They had been serving together for 25 years. We wanted to say Thank you for leading us so well. Thank you for the untold hours you've put in in pastoring us as pastors and preaching the gospel faithfully year after year. And we were able to hand them a sizable check, 
on behalf of us and all the churches to say thank you. One way we could honor them. At our conference, we had R.C. Sproul speaking. Now, we definitely wanted R.C. just to benefit from this man's incredible teaching gift and years of diligent study. But I quickly realized when I was there, it wasn't just about receiving from him. We had him there because C.J., our leader, wanted to honor him. And honor him, we did. He got a Pittsburgh Steelers football helmet. He's an <laughs> avid Steelers fan. But more than that, we said, we want to support what you're doing, Ligonier Ministries. We gave him the check. We want to honor you. That's biblical honor. And we've been led so well by our leaders. I have learned so much about leadership. And the bottom line is this, guys. This is an issue of humility to honor. It's an issue of integrity. You see in verse 17, it says, those who lead us, those who labor. In the ESV, it says labor. It really doesn't do the word justice in the original text. That word there means literally to toil. Those who grow weary. It's the same word used in Matthew 11 when Christ says, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who have toiled, all you who have labored. Preaching and teaching is worrisome. It's sobering. It's humbling. Oh, Al and I do it with joy. I'm not here to elicit your sympathy. No, no, we do it because it's a call upon our lives. But it is hard work. But we do it knowing that God will supply the energy and that our labor is not in vain. Philippians 2, verse 6. I know Al is not up front because he's in back this morning, once again, serving us and our Spanish speakers. There's no man I want to honor more this morning than Al Pino. For those who are new, he's our senior pastor. He started this church just over 10 years ago. And for the first five years, he was the only pastor. He labored. He toiled in preaching week after week with little to no break. Al, you know you can hear me. Thank you, my friend, for your toil and labor. Thank you for the late nights you've spent in the Word of God. Thank you for the very, very early mornings you spent getting up to prepare to preach to us. As one pastor has said, preaching is sweet torture. Sweet torture. It is sweet torture. It's hard to explain. It's wonderful. It's exhausting. At times, I'm just banging my head on the table. As Al mentioned last week, oh, word of God, yield. Yield your truth to me (laughs) in a way that I can apply it. Ah, to my friends, the church. Just recently, this week, we got news that we finally got a second office to Al. could have his own office. I don't know if you know, but he's been laboring in his garage without much air conditioning or ventilation for a long time. We're rejoicing. Lord, thank you. You're providing the finances and the opportunity to have an office. Lord, thank you, Al, once again. Thank you for your toil and your sweat, literally, the long days you have spent preaching the word of God. The bottom line is that honoring those who lead well is an appeal that when biblically understood is not self-serving. No, no, no. It's gospel-promoting. In honoring those who lead well, we are actually giving honor and thanks to God. We are recognizing the gift of God in the people God has given us as leaders. That's biblical honor. Well, how about those who don't lead so well? In fact, not only fail to adorn the gospel, but perhaps even tarnish it. Paul was also concerned about those leaders in Ephesus. And that's one of the reasons why he wrote the book of 1 Timothy. That leads us to point number two. 
Not only should we, number one, honor leaders. It says, biblically, guard your leaders. I struggle with that word, what to put there, how to summarize these last few verses. Well, actually, verses 19 and following. I chose the word to use guard to go along with our theme of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. I could say protect. This is what I'm getting at. Paul is saying, not only do we honor our leaders, but we protect our leaders as well. How do we do so? By refusing to listen to slander, unsupported accusations against our leaders, but by also biblically bringing observations, even of sin, in an appropriate way to our leaders. Because we are sinful as well. And as Paul was experiencing, as Timothy was experiencing here in 1 Timothy, there were those who were not leading well and worthy of rebuke. So why do we protect our leaders? Why do we guard our leaders? I think you know the answer. In order to guard the precious gospel. It's the same reason. In other words, we guard the message of the gospel by guarding the messenger of the gospel. We guard the message of the gospel by guarding the messenger. To guard sometimes means to confront sin. Sometimes it means to expose sin. Sometimes it means to discipline for the sake of sin. Much as we would discipline our own children, not because we hate them, because we love them and we fear God. My attitude here as a pastor is, Lord, judge me now and not later. Show me my sin now rather than on the day of judgment that my life and my ministry may be preserved in the name of God and the gospel would not be reviled. Lord, if I have sinned, if you, I am sinning, Lord, show it to me, reveal it to me now that I may repent and receive your grace for change. I don't want to get to the day of judgment with regret. Oh, I believe I'm assured my salvation that Christ has come. He has died completely for my sins and I have complete forgiveness. I believe that, but I don't want to be surprised the day where I'm held account for every word for how I shepherd you as the flock. No, show me now, O oh Lord. Use every person there to show me my sin that I may see your grace all the more clearly. Well, how do we guard? We do it carefully and patiently. And we do it with the fear of God. Verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. I.e., if there's a charge of sin, go to the source to confirm or confront. Let there be no unsupported or accusations made. Sound familiar? What Paul is talking about here is what we read in the book of Matthew, chapter 18. Sin is sin whether it's a pastor or it's a member, we must be biblically confront sin where there is sin. God has ordained a process by which we are to lovingly confront others. That means going to the person directly. It means refusing to slander, refusing to gossip. What is slander? It's really going to the person who's not a part of the solution and sharing an accusation of sin. You don't do it. You don't share it. If there is a concern for your leader, it's a concern for us. I would suggest you go to your home group leader first so you can verify and check your heart out as well, okay? And then if appropriate, you and he could come just as pastors, all right? We're not untouchable here. We're privates, okay? (laughs) I've been entrusted with the gospel. We as a church must resist 
slander. And I believe we do. We do. I praise God there is a great deal of unity here at Paul and Vista. I would say unity is one of the marks of our church. If you've been here a while, you know there is a great unity and love and affection for one another. I have not considered, I have not been a part or aware of slander at all. We have a unified church. But I am concerned. I know that slander can so easily divide a church. Thank you for your example. Thank you for your graciousness. Thank you for your desire to honor God in this way. But also times I realize, as in the text, verse 20, I pray it will never happen here when unrepentant sins of your leaders will need to be publicly rebuked. Verse 20. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Paul is speaking of those who are sinning. That's the original Greek, those who are sinning. Not those who have sinned. We have all sinned. I have sinned big time. I will sin big time. But those who are currently in a pattern of unrepentant sin. He says, just as you honor them publicly, such that you rebuke them publicly as well, that you and all may stand in fear of sinning likewise and being judged. The most sobering time I've had as a pastor when I have heard the confession of pastors, some who I've known personally, who've been publicly exposed for their sin. I've seen it done the right way and the wrong way. I've seen it done the right way with respect for the gospel, and I've come away with more respect for the church and those men who humbly expose the sin. But most of all, I've come away with a very appropriate fear of God, hope of the grace of God. There go I as well. The fear of God upon me, Lord, that could be me. Oh, Lord, guard my heart and use my fellow friends to do just that. Paul goes on to say, verse 21, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules, what he just spoke in the last two verses, without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Oh, Paul knew our hearts, didn't he? Without prejudging how easy it is to do, nothing from partiality. Why? Because God is watching. Jesus, our judge, is watching. The elect angels, the angels in heaven, are watching. That should cause us to fear. God is aware. And we will be judged, indeed, for how we judge as well. <laughs> that calls for humility, does it not? And patience towards others. Question. Are you quick to sniff out sin and make judgments about sin in your leaders or those in authority even before talking with them? Start with your husband or your parents. If you're doing it then, you may be doing it in other places as well, including other leaders in your life. That would be prejudging. Do you tend to overlook persistent sin in those that you like but jump on sin in those you dislike. That is partiality. Lastly, not only do these principles, these rules that Paul gives us here, that God himself gives us, not only does it relate to the current leaders of the church, it also relates to the selection of future leaders as well. Oh, it demands patience. Verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, I believe he's talking about ordination there, ordaining elders to serve in the work of the gospel, full-time vocationally. Nor take part in the sins of others. 
Keep yourself pure. And then in a pastoral moment that Paul provides here for Timothy, concern for his ailments, he says, no longer drink, only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your freaking ailments. So Paul's just saying, Timothy, don't let them judge you. It's not impure to drink alcohol. I'm concerned for your health. Don't listen to the false teachers. You're okay. And it goes back to this topic, verse 24. I love it. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, even those that are not cannot remain hidden. What a promise. Not only will our sin be found out sooner or later, but so will our good works as well. I fear that. I take comfort in that at the same time. So take encouragement. For those who desire to lead, keep serving. Keep serving. Your good works will be noticed. And perhaps the sin of others that aren't being noticed right now or not acknowledged, they too will be exposed in due time. It might not be your time, but it'll be God's time. And we all know that our good works and our bad will be exposed before our maker on the day of judgment. Let that bring us sobriety in humility and fear of how we treat others here on earth. Well, here's the crux of the issue this morning in summary. We are called to biblically honor our leaders who lead well and biblically guard our leaders from the destruction of unrepentant sin. Why? So the gospel will not be slandered. In doing so, God will be honored. May we be a church that faithfully honors our leaders right here in this church, right here on earth, as one day we'll be honored before God at judgment for the same reason. We would be honored for proclaiming, for defending, for living out, for guarding the gospel. In 2003, as Hurricane Isabel was approaching Washington, D.C., our U.S. Senate and House took two days off with an anticipation of the storm. On the ABC Evening News, it was reported that because of the dangers from the hurricane, the military members assigned the duty of guarding the tomb of the unknown soldier were given permission to suspend the assignment. They respectfully declined the offer. No way, sir. Soaked to the skin, marching in the pelting rain of a tropical storm, they said that guarding the tomb was not just an assignment, it was the highest honor that could be afforded to a service person. May we be a people, a church, that counts it the utmost honor to honor and guard the gospel and thus our leaders, leaders to our dying day. Miguel, if you can come out with the worship team and I'll pray at this time. Let's bow our heads. Thank you. Lord, thank you for this message. It is a difficult message, but I pray it will be filled with grace for each here or there. Lord, we want to honor you this morning. We want to exalt your name. And we want to do it in a way as you have prescribed biblically. So Lord, help us that we be a people, that we be a culture here at Palm Vista that loves to honor one another and in by doing so, honors you. 
May we be the most grateful of all people. May be a church marked by gratefulness, marked by thanksgiving, marked by affection for one another that signifies our love and devotion to you. We pray. Amen. All right. You may stand.